Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. The Hawaiian Islands have a population of over 1.4 million, but behind the beauty of the islands lies a much darker secret. There have been numerous cases of Hawaiian missing and murdered women and girls for decades, and many of those cases remain unsolved. Death is an undeniable part of life, but the leading causes of death for indigenous girls living in Hawaii are particularly alarming. In fact, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women are at a disproportionate risk of losing their lives at a much earlier age than any other demographic in Hawaii. The most recent data from the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention indicates that more than a third of Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women between the ages of 15 and 24 die due to unnatural causes including homicide, suicide, and accidental death. That statistic is significantly higher than the percentage for all other demographics of women living in Hawaii. At the root of these alarming figures lie in a complex interplay of cultural, economic, and social factors. Research suggests that Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women are disproportionately vulnerable to issues such as poverty, violence, and depression. All of these can put Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women at an increased risk of death. Physical violence is sadly more common among indigenous girls in Hawaii. Violence against Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women results in a range of fatalities and injuries, from homicide to trauma associated with domestic violence. Numerous studies have demonstrated that physical violence is the primary cause of injury and death for the Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander women. Rates of suicide among women are also extremely concerning. According to a 2018 report by the Office of Minority Health, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women were twice as likely to die from suicide compared to white women. This figure is even more concerning when considering that the rate of Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women aged 15 to 24 years old are 8.5 times higher than the rate for white women in the same age range. I will be speaking on the lives, disappearance, and unsolved murders of Don Momohara, Lynn Ebisusaki, and Ji Jolie, who resided on the islands of Hawaii. Situation has become such a source deep of anguish for many Hawaiians, leaving them with unanswered questions. Some of these stories have become flashpoints in the community, arousing public pressure to uncover that truth. It happened in 1977. The body that was found was that of 16-year-old Dawn Momohara. She was a junior at the time. Police say reports indicate she was sexually assaulted and strangled to death. 
She says the incident has stuck with her all this time, and she hopes the killer is found one day. Just for that to happen was very unusual and very tragic, and it didn't. Um, it just shouldn't have happened. On the morning of March 21st, 1977, Dawn's lifeless body was discovered on the second floor of the English Building at McKinley High School. Reports indicated that. The young student had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. The tragic event took place the night before a regular school day, leaving both students and faculty members in a state of shock and fear. The news of Dawn's murder spread quickly throughout the school and the local community. Susie Chan Oakland, a former McKinley High School student who was a freshman at the time, recalls the incident was all people could talk about for days. The atmosphere at the school was one of fear and unease, as the killer had not been apprehended and the motive behind the crime remained unknown. Despite exhaustive efforts by the HPD, the investigation into Dawn's murder has yet to yield any solid leads or suspects. Over the years, the police have released sketches of a person of interest and a possible suspect vehicle hoping that these details might jog someone's memory and lead to a breakthrough in the case. The HPT had released a sketch of a person of interest in the case. While there is no concrete evidence linking to this individual to the crime, the police hope that someone who recognizes the person in the sketch may come forward with critical information that could help solve the case. This individual's identity remains unknown on the afternoon of March 20, 1977, Dawn, an 11th grade student at McKinley High School, told her mother, Mabel Mamahara, that she was going to be meeting up with friends at the Alamoana Center, a shopping center at Alamoana Boulevard. But once she left her home on Elm Street, wearing a green mumu with floral print and slippers, she never returned. At around 10.30 p.m. the same day, Mabel contacted the Honolulu Police Department and reported her daughter missing, which prompted a search by law enforcement. Police officials questioned her friends and acquaintances in hopes to find out what had happened to Dawn, but to no avail. At around 7.25 a.m. on March 21, 1977, a teacher at McKinley High School entered the second floor of the English building and found Dawn's body near a classroom that was alongside a stairwell. At the time when Dawn's body was found, her green mumu was pulled over her head and it is unknown if she had ever made it to the shopping center, according to the Honolulu Star Bulletin. Her body was transported to the city's medical examiner's office for an autopsy which revealed that Dawn was sexually assaulted and strangled to death. Dawn was described by her classmates as quiet and shy student who didn't hang out with fast crowd, as they said in those days. And based on the Honolulu advertiser reported that although the classrooms were locked, the entrances and corridors at the high school did not have doors making the halls easily accessible to the public. The witness told police they saw a man leaving the school, believing to be oriental, with dark shoulder-length hair. 
He could be between five foot five and five foot seven, with a slim build. And the vehicle that was also seen parked alongside the building, which could have belonged to the perpetrator, it is described as a two-door. 1974 or 1975 Pontiac Le Mans with louvered rear windows, a maroon bottom, and a white vinyl top, according to the KHON2. And several days after Dawn's death, the Honolulu police released a composite sketch of the possible suspect and their vehicle. The HPD and the community continue to call for any information regarding Don Momohara's murder. If you recognize the man in the sketch or the vehicle, you are urged to contact the Crime Stoppers at 808-955-8300 or email or send an email through the HPD's website. The public assistance is crucial in solving cold cases like this one, as even the smallest piece of information may prove to be the key to unlocking decades-old mystery. I will identify the links in the show notes. Lynn Emiko Ebisusaki. Lynn was born on January 21, 1961 in Hilo, Hawaii, along with her siblings, Gary, Jill, and Claire. In the quiet town of South Hilo, Hawaii, the tragic and unsolved murder of a 26-year-old Lynn Ebisusaki remains a haunting tale that has left the community searching for answers for over three decades. The case which took place on May 1st, 1987, remains one of the 710 unsolved murders in Hawaii between 1980 and 2019. On May 1st, 1987, at about 9.15 p.m., Lynn walked out of her boyfriend's home in the 500 block of Kanolehua Avenue near the airport in South Hilo. After stepping out of the home, she did not return, prompting the residents to search the surrounding area. Their efforts proved futile, and they eventually called the police for assistance. Responding officers expanded this search area and soon found Lynn's body in the bushes, a few hundred feet away from the residence. She was observed to be bleeding from an apparent stab wound. An autopsy later confirmed that she had died as a result of a single stab wound and her death was ruled a homicide. At the time of her death, Lynn worked in the business office at Miko Meats. She was also an active member of Uhilo Baptist Student Union Committee, Panaiwa Kumiai Association, and spent the majority of her free time as a youth leader for Kino Ole Baptist Church in Hilo. Her involvement in both her work and religious community paints a picture of a dedicated and caring young woman whose life was tragically cut short. Despite the efforts of law enforcement, no suspects were apprehended, and the case remains open and unsolved. In an effort to solve the case, the local Crime Stoppers program has offered a reward up to $1,000 for information leading to the arrest of the perpetrator. Tipsters who wish to remain anonymous can call the island-wide Crime Stoppers number at 808-961-8300. 
This volunteer program run by Ordinary Citizens aims to keep communities safe by providing a confidential platform for reporting crime information. With the advancement of technology and the availability of new investigative techniques, there is hope that more cold cases like the murder of Lynn Ebisuzaki will be solved in the future. As time passes and new evidence comes to light, the chances of solving these cases increase. Quote, the boyfriend was looked at as a potential suspect in the initial stages of the investigation. As of now, we still don't have evidence that would positively identify him as a suspect, stated Detective Derek Morimoto, who took over the case in 2017. And this case bothers Morimoto for number of reasons. Quote, the way she was either forcefully removed or taken from the home is alarming. Back in the late 80s, a lot of people on the Big Island did not lock their houses. Crime was not as much as it is today. Lynn had no known enemies. And Morimoto says anyone he's ever interviewed has spoken highly of her. And by all accounts, Lynn was not the type of person that would be wrapped up in illegal activities or considered a high-risk individual. Sadly, Lynn's parents passed away before finding out who killed their daughter. Her father, Yasuji, in the mid-1996, and her mother, Dora, in early 2004. Morimoto is quoted, What's even more troublesome is a responsible person is still out there. Police ask anyone with information of the murder to contact Detective Derek Morimoto of the Area 1 Criminal Investigation Section at 808-961-2380. I will provide the links in the show notes. Tipsters who prefer to remain anonymous may call the island-wide Crime Stoppers number at 808-961-8300 and may be eligible for a reward up to $1,000. Crime Stoppers is a volunteer program run by ordinary citizens who want to keep their community safe. Crime Stoppers does not record calls or subscribe to any caller ID service. All Crime Stoppers information is kept confidential. G. Sarli is a name that holds significance in the hearts of many, particularly in Hawaii. The 12-year-old girl disappeared in 1988 while selling Benefit Zippy's Chili Tickets. Her disappearance remains one of Hawaii's most heartbreaking unsolved cases, and her story continues to resonate with people even after more than three decades. Yan Ran Lee and her husband arrived in Honolulu on the island of Oahu from China in 1987, Due to China's strict one-child policy in place at the time, they had to keep two of their children hidden until they could leave the country. Ji Zhao Li was born on April 10, 1975. Ji Zhao Li was a student at Royal Elementary School in Honolulu, in Honolulu, Hawaii, in 1988. Her family lived in an apartment on Nuuanu Avenue and she promised to return by approximately 6 p.m. Her mother gave her a wristwatch, and Ji Li said she would time herself when selling her tickets. On the afternoon of February 11, 1988, Ji Li 
A young girl with black hair, brown eyes, and slightly crooked teeth was last seen near the 7-Eleven convenience store. She had been going door-to-door -door selling tickets for Zippy's Chili, and according to its website, Zippy's is a well-known diner in the state famous for its chili. Jeet So Lee was last seen around 4.45 p.m. at the 7-Eleven convenience store at Nuuanu Avenue and Kuakine Street in Honolulu. Patrons of the store remember her approaching people walking in and out of the store and asking them if they wanted to buy her tickets. When she failed to return home by 6 p.m., as promised to her mother, her family began searching for her. She was reported missing to authorities the next day. The news of G. Jolie's disappearance sent shockwaves throughout Hawaii, prompting parents to be more cautious about allowing their children to participate in seemingly innocent activities like selling tickets in public. Charlene Takeno of the Missing Children's Center of Hawaii noted how this case has remained etched in the memories of the community, primarily because it shattered the illusion of safety that everyone believed in. Phil Camaro, a retired Honolulu police homicide detective, also shares the sentiment that Ji Lee's case continues to haunt him. At the time of her disappearance, tips poured into the HPD homicide unit, including composite sketches, possible getaway vehicles, and even sightings. Although HPD says they've checked every single tip, they have not made any progress in solving the mystery. Yan Ruan Lee, Ji Zhou's Lee's mother, has had a difficult time coping with her daughter's disappearance. Time has not dulled the pain, and she has kept the same phone number all these years, hoping for a phone call with news about her daughter. She and her husband are originally from China, where families were only allowed one child. They had to keep Ji Zhou Li and her younger sister hidden until they could leave the country. They arrived in Hawaii in 1987, only to have their daughter taken from them just a year later. Ji's father would walk the streets along Nuuanu Avenue and Kuakini Street for years, searching for his little girl. The family is aware of the recent missing person cases nationwide that have had happy endings, such as Elizabeth Smart, J.C. Duggard, and the three Cleveland women. However, they also know that these cases are rare. While these stories give Yang Ru and Li hope, she does not want to give herself false hope. In 1992, Yan Ruan Li became a United States citizen after a long, difficult process. She speaks English but prefers her native Cantonese and chooses to use a translator for long conversations. Her journey to citizenship was marked by the emotional strain of her daughter's disappearance, making it challenging to absorb the material required for the citizenship tests. With the help of Yak Peng La, her immigration counselor, and Dr. David Lam, who conducted psychological exams in Chinese for her, she finally achieved her dream of becoming an American citizen. Gary Diaz, a now-retired Honolulu Police Department homicide lieutenant who was in charge of the case, recalled how he dismissed the idea that Jing Zhou Li had run away after discussion with her family. 
She did not have a history of running away and had nothing suggested she would. Missing person posters and flyers were quickly put up and a detailed foot search along with an investigation led by hundreds of officers began. Leads came in such as the one from a patrol officer who reported a young man who had a history of harassing young girls at Nuuanu Avenue. During questioning, Lieutenant Diaz learned that the man was a paranoid schizophrenic and would speak about himself in the third person. Based on a conversation where he took Jizhou Li to Nuuanu Stream, the department undertook an extremely extensive search of the area utilizing the SWAT team and cadaver dogs, but the search yielded nothing. After numerous attempts to get him to reveal where he had taken Jizhou Li, Lieutenant Diaz strategized that perhaps pretending like he did not believe him anymore might get him to open up. That ploy did not work either. The man became threatening over time to the point where it showed up at Lieutenant Diaz's home armed with a gun while he was not at home. The man was arrested and spent time in psychiatric care. Lieutenant Diaz and others in the, in the department believed that the man had something to do with Jizo Lee's disappearance but could never find a link. Another lead was someone seeing a young Asian girl getting into a 1950s Chevrolet. People recalled that Jiso Lee had been seen speaking to people getting in and out of their cars. The witness described it as a 1955 through a 1957 Chevy, so the police research department compiled a list of all registered Chevrolets between 1950 and 1959, when the design change occurred, and they physically checked each vehicle but to no avail. Lieutenant Diaz described how a detective was assigned to each of the hundreds of owners with registered Chevrolets so they could meet with them and take a look at the car. Another tip suggested Jizo Lee had been kidnapped by someone from China. Lieutenant Diaz still thinks about Jizo Lee and wonders if he did enough to locate her. He feels at the time of the incident, they all did the best they could. On February 14th of 1988, the man driving this car was seen at a Sunset Beach service station, the North Shore. He was in his vehicle at the time, and witnesses said that they saw a child who matched Jizhou Lee's description in the back seat. Investigators believed it's likely the child seen in the vehicle was in fact her. There she was observed speaking to a still unidentified individual. The individual is described as being a Caucasian male who was between the ages of 30 to 35 years of age in 1988. He, he was approximately six feet tall and had dark blonde hair which was combed back. He had a high forehead as well. This individual is considered a person of interest in the case. Investigators are also looking for another man who Jizhou Lee may have been seen with on the day of her disappearance and afterwards. The man is described as being dark-skinned, who appeared to be in his 30s. His hair was pulled back into what appeared to be a red ponytail at the time. The man was driving an older model, yellow-colored Chevrolet. The car appeared to be, have been made between 1954 to 1957. 
The car had gray primer spots on it. It's possible that Ji Zhou Li was seen getting into a vehicle like this one on the day of a presumed abduction. Sketches of these two individuals have been created and distributed after her disappearance. They are seeking these two men for questioning and continue to search for them. And investigators speculate that she was taken by a stranger. There was once a lead that Ji Zhou Li was taken out of Hawaii into the United States by airplane and was left in San Diego, California upon arrival. Investigators looked into the tip and someone was sent to locate her, but the lead went nowhere. The Missing Child Center of Hawaii has done age progression drawings for Jizo Lee, showing what she might look like at 27 years old and again at 38. These images brought Yan Ruan Li to tears, as the reality of seeing a photo of what her daughter might look like was overwhelming. Phil Camaro, now an investigator for NCIS, believes that in cold cases, the trail does get stale over time, but relationships change. He hopes that someone who didn't want to come forward back then might be willing to do so now. If you have any information that could help in the case, you can call the Crime Stoppers at 808-955-8300 or the Missing Child Center Hawaii at 808-586-1449 or text CRIME from your cell phone. You can remain anonymous. Ji Zhou Li's case serves as a painful reminder of a need for constant vigilance in protecting our children. It is crucial that we as a community work together to ensure the safety of our children and report any suspicious activity or information that could help prevent tragedies like this one from happening again. The stories of Dawn Momohara Lin Emiko Ebesuka and Ji Li are sadly not unique. Hawaiian communities have become increasingly aware of the vulnerable state of women and girls in the islands, and the unsolved cases of these women and girls have become a driving force in the fight against further disappearances, abductions, and deaths. While the Hawaiian Islands have seen an increase in violent crimes over the past decade, it is saddening to see that many of these cases are still unsolved. It is painfully clear that the leading causes of death amongst Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women and girls are overwhelmingly preventable. To combat these deaths, it is essential to recognize the cultural, economic, and social root causes of these issues. The number of unsolved murders in Hawaii fluctuates each year due to new cases and the resolution of existing ones. Between 1965 and 2019, there have been approximately 2,073 unsolved murders in the state. Of these, approximately 1,363 have been solved, leaving around 710 that remain open. Crime data for Hawaii can be found on various federal and local law enforcement agency websites, which typically provide crime reports and statistics. Additionally, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, releases a yearly uniform crime report 
that details crimes, crime rates, and locations of crimes occurring in the United States. For more information about these cases, which were found directly on Uncovered.com website, there are over 220 missing person cases just from Hawaii. Check out the link and take part in being the voice for the missing on your social media platforms. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast, And be sure to come back next week for our discussion of true crime stories. Until then, this is Jasmine Castillo. We are voiceless no more. This podcast was created, produced, recorded, researched, and edited by Jasmine Castillo. Current active member of Dark Cast Network, Transto Task Force, Uncovered.com and partners with Search and Support San Antonio.